And we're going to finish our series through the Kings. We may come back to this later on in another year, another time, another place. And um, go through some of the other ones that we didn't touch on this time. But I'm thankful to the Lord for um, this study's challenged my life. And then after this, Lord willing, next week, for those who are here, we're going to be doing a psalm. And then after that, we're going to go into First John starting in June. And it'll take us as far as the Lord will allow us to go. And then hopefully through First John, the rapture. Amen? Amen. And then, um, and then we're, well, I won't have to worry about what to preach next after First John. We'll be in heaven. We'll all be happy and excited. And just thank the Lord. Let me, let me ask you a really tough question. And I want an honest answer. Okay? You're not going to hurt my feelings. All right? Here's the theological question for the day. Why do people fall asleep in church? Not enough coffee. Not enough coffee. I just want to tell you something. Um, you don't realize what you have. I am very talented. I have put people to sleep. Yes, I have put people to sleep in two different languages. Two different languages. We had a guy in Argentina. I mean, I knew he was going to be out like a light, and so. While I would do the opening, this is why I don't pray before I preach. You know, I used to pray along you know, before I preach, and then, and, then, um, and then I would go into the message. Because when I would pray before I preached, I'd look, his eyes would stay closed. The whole message. He slept the whole, I mean, I didn't even get out of the opening prayer. And he was gone. It, it happens. I mean, it happens. And then we had a, we had a guy... Two in Iowa, Iowans sleep, anything Iowans, I mean, they can sleep at it. And, he, and so this, this guy, he was sitting in the back and, you know, you couldn't miss him. I mean, he's in the back with his head back and his eyes closed. And he said this to me, Jeremy, even though I look like I'm sleeping, I hear every word you're saying. And you know what? He did. He did hear every word. Um, we, we used to do a nursing home ministry. Oh, would they sleep at that? And um, one lady, she was, what, 100? And I forget. And she used to say, I'm resting my eyes. She was out like a light. Out like a light. We had a guy here. He's not coming here anymore. Um, but he used to sit in the front row. And when he would yawn, I thought he was joking around, but he was a serious yawn. He would go, oh! How do you preach? With somebody going, oh, 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 oh. Now I know sometimes it comes out. Now before we pick on people, right, which I just did, let me give you some reasons why people do fall asleep in church. I call it the reasons for snoozing, all right? Now, well, here, here's some reasons why. The sermon is boring. All right, let's just be honest. Not every Sunday the pastor's got it, and the sermons are not as exciting as the other ones are. So people fall asleep. I understand that. The, the sermon can be very boring, um, and uh, the topic is not an easy topic to handle, or the presentation isn't the best, and uh, or the preparation wasn't the best, and he fumbles, and he monotone, and, and rough, and, and the sermon, and you're just like, I cannot keep my eyes open. I hope he says amen here and finish it up. He's got another two verses. I am not going to make it through it. And you're just dying there. You're just waiting for it to be over. I had one professor that used to talk until he had no more breath left. And so he would say his lines. 
And 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 he would just go, you know. And the other day, Apostle Paul was talking. And the other day, went, oh, no. <laughs> and then he would start his phrase again. And the Apostle Paul walked down the street, and, he, and he's just he's just in one breath, and he keep going till he had no breath. And oh. <laughs> so you keep listening about for an hour and watch your head go. He just had a way. In fact, I can't even make this up. He fell asleep during his own message. I can't even make it up. He slept during his own message. Where one of the people went and asked the dean, what do we do? The, pa- the professor's asleep. He said, I want you to be very nice. The whole class got up and the whole class left and oh. left the professor there sleeping in his chair. He slept during his own message. I mean, imagine that. So we got we to understand that sometimes the sermon is, let's we pick on the, the... All right, how about this one? Insufficient sleep. All right, not everyone gets a good night's sleep on Saturday nights. Right? Not, 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 and it's not always your fault. Now, let me say this. If you're up playing video games at four in the morning, something is wrong on a Saturday night. All right? Put the video games away at eight o'clock, please, and get some good night's sleep there. But, you know, some people like the video games and whatever they want to do, and they get insufficient sleep. They get here, their mind is dead. They only slept two hours. That happens. Um, sometimes the dog's barking next door or the music's playing or something gets your attention and you can't sleep at night or you got a cramp or something and you just can't sleep. That happens. How about a long week? You just had a long week and you finally get here on Sunday and you can just relax. And the time to relax is when the pastor's preaching. Amen? <laughs> Boy, it's been a long week. I just can't wait for him to get my nice little nap in while he's preaching and, you know, get that. You know, that happens. We get the long weeks, but... Let me say this too. We got to be careful. Some people are on medication and it knocks them out. Yes. Before we go judging people, right? Uh, on Mother's Day, my wonderful Mother's Day sermon, not one amen. <laughs> there was somebody listening online and they told me, Jeremy, I was there on the couch. I had my medication because I just recently got surgery. And I was waiting for you to preach. I couldn't wait for you to preach. You start preaching, and I was out like a light. I slept through the whole thing, and I never sleep through your preaching. She said, but I had medicine, and the medicine knocked me out. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes people have heart issues or thyroid issues or other things that go on in their life, and it's hard for them to stay awake. They, 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 they fall asleep. You know, let me just tell you something. It doesn't bother me as much that people fall asleep. I mean, you're not going to be the first and you're not going to be the last. That it doesn't mean. Here, here's, what's, here's what's worse than falling asleep in church. is having an alive body, an awake body, but yet a sleeping soul. Where nothing really penetrates your heart. Well, you, you hear sermon after sermon after sermon after preaching and, and reading and nothing changes in your life. You're the exact same as you've always been. Something is wrong. Oh, you're awake. Your eyes are open. You're, you're looking or you're staring or whatever you're doing or maybe looking at the cross, whatever it is. But you're, you're, you're awake, but you're really not awake. You know, churches are filled with people like that every day. They go to these churches. They, they're sitting there with their eyes open. They have their Bibles open, but yet their souls are asleep. They're not really awake spiritually. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a scary place to be. 
And there's nothing worse than that. Now you say, why do, I, why do I bring that up? Because when you look at this King Josiah, he was a person that was awake to the Word of God. That's why I, I love this king. And as we study him out and look him out, he had the character and the conduct, and he understood what the Word of God was about, and he responded to the Word of God. And that's what my prayer is. I don't want us just to hear the Word of God. I want us to have hearts that will respond to the Word of God and live out what we hear by God's grace. And, and King Josiah, let's, let's look a little bit about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 1. Let's look at his, his, his conduct and his character here in the first few verses. I love this. So Josiah, look how old he was. Eight years old when he became king. Now we know that they weren't kings alone. They usually were co-reigning with their fathers at the time. But notice verse 1. He only reigned how many years? Which means he died at 39. And he tragically died at 39. He was a, he, he, he got into another fight that he shouldn't have gotten into, another battle, and he was killed in the battle. So this wasn't a guy that lived a long life and made a long impact on it. He, this was a guy, eight years old, reigned 31 years and died, tragically. But here's what's amazing in verse 2. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's what it's all about, is living for God and doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. But there's a phrase that just corresponds to him. He walked in the ways of who? His father, David. You see that? David was his model, not, not his, his natural father, paternal father, but his father David from the lineage of David. He, he said he looked at David as a model. And watch this in verse 2. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. That's an interesting little phrase there in the Bible. What it means is, is that he had complete devotion. When they used their left hand and used their right hand, they were all in. And so he's saying he's all in in verse 2. He's all in. He didn't, he didn't move from the left. He was all in for God. Complete devotion for God. At a very young age. You say, how young? Look at verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth. All right, let's do the bath, okay? He was eight years old when he started to reign. His eighth year of reign, how old is he? Sixteen or fifteen if he begins the eighth year. Fifteen or sixteen years old. He's a young guy. And look what he does. He begins to seek the God of his father, David. Somebody says, how young should we start seeking God? Now. Now. Sixteen years old. And, and, and there, the, the word seek there is the, the, a pursuit of God. He wanted to know God and understand God. And he looked to God for direction at 16. That's exciting. I, I, I thank the Lord that we have some teenagers here in this church that are seeking God at a very young age. Yes. Praise the Lord. Yes. They're looking at it now. Well, what is that going to do in my future? We're going to see in a moment what it did to King Josiah. But seek God. I joke around with some of the teens sometimes. I say, you know what? I'll give you $1,000. Ready for this? And I'll make this offer here too. I'll give you $1,000 if you memorize Psalm 119. Anybody want to take me up on that? Huh? Alex is smiling. He wants his thousand. All right, $1,000. You do it, Alex. I'll give you 1000 Psalm 119. You ever try to memorize Psalm 119, that whole psalm? Are you ready for this? David Livingston, at the age of nine, memorized Psalm 119. 
We can do it. He started young. In fact, if you study the Bible out, even Solomon says, remember the Lord your God in your youth before the evil days come. What is he talking about? He's talking about when we get older and our bodies start to fall apart and things start to fall apart and our lives start to fall apart later on in life. And he said, seek God now while you can. When you're young, give him your life. And here is Josiah. He's only 16 and he's seeking God the Father. You say, what does that mean? Well, look. In verse 3, now that he's seeking God, he's living a focused, disciplined, God-pleasing life from his youth. You say, how did that affect him? Well, watch. At the age of 20, in his 12th year, in verse 3, it says here, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. So here is a young man starts seeking God at 16 years old and he starts to walk with God and really understand God and live for God and have a focused life for God. And at 20, God starts to use him to do amazing things. And let me just tell you, began to purge is an underestimate. This guy was amazing. He crashed the idols. He crushed the idols. He burnt the bones of the people that, the, the prophets that would worship them. He sprinkled the ashes on the grave. This guy began to purge anything that had to do with paganism. He got rid of the most he can. Now, he couldn't do it all. We know that because no king could do it all. But at 20 years old, he's purging the land. God is using him to make an amazing spiritual impact. He's a spiritual leader. Let's see what else he does. Look at verse 8. Now later on, he's 26 years old. What does he start to do? He starts to repair the house of the Lord his God. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. Buildings, I thank God for buildings, but buildings over time fall apart. Have you ever been in a 50-year-old building? Anybody ever been in a 50-year-old building? Well, you're sitting in one right now. I hope you can say you have in one. Let me just tell you, things fall apart. Sewers, pipes break. Bathrooms start to stink. Toilets flush and don't turn off. Paint starts to chip. Carpets get bad. I, I, when we got here, the carpet downstairs was 40 years old, and it was a borrowed carpet. It was 20 years old when they got it. And little babies were crawling on it. That was a pretty nasty carpet. This carpet here, praise God, what is it, eight years old? Nine, it's already got stains. You know, you guys that drink coffee up here, where are you? You got stains. We know where you sit. There's a big thing of coffee there. And let me just tell you, the stains don't go away right away. You scrub and scrub and those stains stay there. You left your mark in this church, praise God. But they start to deteriorate. They start to fall apart. And look what he does. He starts to repair the house of the Lord. And he hires all kinds of carpenters and stonemasons and all kinds of people that knew that. And they start to repair the house of God. He's starting to take care of the house of God. And here's, here's what's amazing. You know, he, he understands that these buildings go down and they're a mess and people really didn't want to go there. So he, he, he's repairing everything and getting it all together. And as they're doing this, look at verse 14. When they were bringing out the money and they were paying the people to repair the house, which had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest, who was later killed, by the way, but Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. 
So imagine this, they're repairing and they're, they're getting near the, and they're repairing all the stuff and, and, and they had money hidden in certain places and so they would put the money there and as they're looking, they're ready to put the money and grab money from there or whatever and they, they look and oh, there's a book. What's this book? And I can just imagine the dust all over the book. It's a scroll kind of a, not like this kind of a book, but a scroll kind of a thing. They open it up. What is it? The love, Moses, the Torah, the first few books of the Bible. They're like, we found the book. Can you imagine? In the temple, the word of God is missing. You say, shouldn't that be? It's like finding a Bible in a church. The, the church never uses the Bible. And all of a sudden, you, you find, what is this? Oh, the past, you found a Bible. You, maybe you should use this. But here's what amazes me about this. The word of God was missing for years. We don't know how many years. Probably during the reign of Manasseh, he got rid of it. We don't know how many, but it didn't bother anyone. Here's what's sad. There are a lot of people, even today, the word of God is missing in the churches and it doesn't even bother anyone. They go there and they just worship and say, oh, that was a great, what was the message about? Well, he really didn't use the Bible. He just talked about a little bit about his, his foot and how his foot hurt. And that was a really exciting story. And we just think, where's the Bible? Or, or, or people open the Bible, but they really don't even use the Bible. They care less about the Bible. Or as one professor, this is amazing. I was reading and I said to some of you, was asking the class. He doesn't believe in God. He says, how many of you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God? They raise their hand. And then he goes, how many of you are reading it? And he said, like, only a few raised their hand. Oh, we believe the Bible. Hey, man, hallelujah. It's the inspired word of God. Are we using it? Are we reading it? Are we studying it out? Do we know what it means? Here they are, they find the law of the Lord. And you remember Deuteronomy, the first message we talked about with where leadership lasts and what kings needed not to do and to do. They needed not to have many women. They could only have one. And, and, and then they were not to have many warriors. They were to trust in God and, and not much wealth. They were not to have much wealth. They were to trust in the Lord and not their money. And they were to read the Bible every day of their lives. So that their hearts would not get exalted above the people. That their hearts would remain humble. They needed God's word every day of their lives. No word. But now they found it. And they bring it to the king. And how does the king react? Here it is. And this is how we should react before the Lord. They found the book of the law. They read it and they bring it to the king. And look at verse 19. And when the king heard the words of the law, what did he do? He tore his clothes. That's a sign of repentance. That's a sign of humility. That's a sign of conviction. That's a sign of realizing we're in trouble here. That's a sign of allowing the word of God to really touch your heart and tend to your heart and really come into side of your heart and, 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 and tell your heart what's wrong. And it's a sign of responding rightly. It's a sign of humility saying, wow. You say, what did he do? Look at this in 2 Kings 22, 19. It goes even deeper to what he tore his clothes. It says here in 2 Kings twenty two nineteen. it says, because your heart, and look at the word, was what? What was his heart? Tender. It was soft. 
It was responsive. I love that Hebrew word tender. It talks about a softness to it, it, it a responsiveness to it. It was responsive. It, it was a heart that was tender. You say, why is this important? Because there was a king that the Bible was read to. He got so mad, he ripped it and burned it. Not King Josiah. His heart was tender. It was soft. I love that. You know, it's amazing when Jesus told the parable of the sowers, he talked about different hearts. He talked about the hard heart. The hard heart is the heart when it hears the word that just bounces off them and Satan then takes the seed and they, and they never get saved. They just, it just bounces off their hearts, bounces off. It is a stony heart, a rocky heart. They don't listen. The word of God comes, and it just bounces right off. There's also the shallow hearts. Why know what kind of heart that is? Those are the, I like those people after I preach because they come up to you. Whoa, what a message. Wow, what a message. That was the best I've heard in a while. Woohoo! Wow, a great path. Wow, that was amazing. But then they go out and they do nothing about it. It's a shallow heart. They get excited. There's joy there. They go, wow, that was amazing what I read in the Bible. Woo, that was great. But then when the trial comes, nothing. Then Jesus talks about the infested heart, the heart that hears, but they're so choked down with worries. They're so choked down with trying to live for this world that the heart never brings what it wants to bring. It never, the word of God never takes the effect it needs to take the effect because they're so choked down with the worries and the riches and, and the things of this world. It never produces what God wants. And then there's the good heart that hears the word, keeps the word and lives the word. He had a soft heart. He said, your heart was tender, it was soft. And you humbled yourself before the Lord. And, and, you, and you received the word. And, and look what he did here in verse 19. He tore his clothes and he wept before the Lord. When was the last time that the word of God just gripped your heart? Convicted your heart? And you said, man, I need to change. That should happen, by the way, on a regular basis. If not, there's something wrong with our hearts. It means that it's just bouncing off of it. And it's taking no effect. It should grip our hearts. It should convict our heart. It should change our hearts. So we ask God, help my heart to be tender. Help my heart to be humble. He tore his clothes and he wept. It's amazing. And just a week ago, I was struggling with something against somebody else. And I had a lot of anger in my heart. And I kept confessing the anger. And it just kept coming back. And then the anger, I confess it, and boom, it was back in my heart. And here I am doing a, a premarital counseling. And I, I mentioned, I don't like to mention this verse too much, Mark eleven twenty five, because it'll tear your heart apart. Where Jesus says, if you're praying and you have anything against anyone, you need to forgive. And here I am sitting in this counseling session and I'm the one doing the counseling and telling them what to do. And I look at that and I'm like, wow, this verse just ripped my heart apart. Because I was holding on to something that I shouldn't have been. It's amazing how the word of God can grip our hearts. We need to allow it. He had a tender heart. A heart that humbled himself. And he, he, he wept before the Lord. Look at the next thing. He doesn't just stop there. 
A lot of us would stop there and say, oh, okay, well, we got tender heart. I've accepted God's word. What, what else does he want from me? Look, the king then commanded these people. And look what he does here in verse 21. He says this. Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book which have been found. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying this. I want to know more about these words. I, I want to understand them more. I want to figure them out more. I don't, I don't just want to hear what happened. I want to know what the, what's going on here. Go inquire of the Lord and explain to me these words. That's, a, that's an amazing attitude to have. When, when we come to the Bible, we don't just want to un- see the Bible. We want to understand the Bible. We want to inquire of the Bible. We want to really understand the Bible. And he, he wants to understand it concerning the words. Go and find out. Because he realizes something here in verse 21. He says here, For great is the wrath of the Lord which is poured out on us because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do all that is according to this book. So he's saying this, I understand, I understand to a part Deuteronomy 28, but go figure out what does that mean for us practically? I tell people, you want to enhance your devotional life? Here's the way to do it. Have your Bible open and have a commentary, a, a, a reliable commentary next to it that can help you understand the words that you're reading. Because there's some things in there that are really hard to understand. <laughs> Try to have your devotions in Amos. <laughs> in other books. And so have a good commentary there. He wants to understand the words. He says here, I want, I want you to go and inquire what the Lord is saying. What exactly do these words mean? And so a woman prophetess goes and they inquire of her, which is interesting. And the prophetess comes back with, with a mixed message. I got good news and bad news. The bad news is, boy, Judah is going to go to captivity because Judah has been so bad over all these years. Nothing you can do to reform or stop that. But here's the good news, Josiah. Because you love the Lord, because you respond to his word, you're not going to see it. You're going to die before it happens. Wow, what a response. But he says, go and inquire. I want to know more about the word of God. I want to understand more. That should be a heart. We need to respond with a desire to know more of the Bible. Understand more of the Bible. Now look at this. He doesn't stop there. Here's where it gets beautiful. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem in verse 29. And in verse 30, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah. Watch this. The inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, all the people. These are rich, poor, you name it. They're there. All all the people, from the greatest to the least. Babies are there. Old people are there. Everyone's there. They want them all there. And look what he does. He pulls out those words and he starts to read it to them. Look at that. He reads in the hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Let's do that one day. Let's come one Sunday. You guys stand up and I'm going to read the first five books of the Bible. Now, one amen. Uh, One amen. That's it. That's a long time. And he reads all that. Imagine holding babies during that time. Oh, man, when is this? You know, hearing all the words. He, He told them all. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't close his Bible and say, well, that's, that says the word of God. That's the word of God. May God bless his word. Here's what he does. This is where he's incredible. Verse 31. Then the king stood in his place. There were pillars back then where the king would stand and he would have his place of authority and he's standing before the people. 
And here's what he does. He makes a covenant before the Lord. He says, I'm going to make a commitment before all of you. And here's my commitment before all of you. I'm not just going to hear these words. I'm going to live these words. He says, my commitment before all of you is I'm going to walk after the Lord. I'm going to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes and with, with all my heart, with all my soul. And I'm going to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. He goes before them and he's standing and he says, you know what, as, as he reads these words, I, I realize how far we've come and how far we are and we don't need to be there. So here's what I promise to you. I am going to live these words. Who's with me? And then an amazing thing in the next verse, the people stand and they make the same commitment. I remember one kid that was asked, so what's your favorite Bible version? What do you like? The King James, the New American Standard, the, the ESV, what do you like? And the kid, without missing a beat, says, I like my mama's version. Your mama's version? What's that? She goes, he goes, because my mama doesn't only read the Bible, she lives the words. He gets up and he says, you know what? We hear these words, we understand we're wrong, but we're here and I make a commitment before you. I am going to live these words. You see, if we want ever the Bible to impact our lives, we need to respond with a soft heart, with a willing heart to know more, and a heart to say, Lord, I will do what it says in your word. So what if we hear you need to forgive people if we're not willing to do it? So, so what if we hear blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness if we're not willing to hunger and thirst for right? It does nothing to our souls. So what if it hears the go if we hear the words we need to go out and make disciples and share Christ with people if we don't go do it it does nothing to our hearts but when it starts to impact our hearts is when we hear those words with a soft heart and we say God here I am willing to understand what it is and I am willing to do it so what if we hear you should love your wife as Christ loved the church if we're not loving our wife like Christ loved the church or our wives here respect your husband if we're not respecting our if we don't do it or children I love this one obey your parents amen that one amen in the front obey your parents so what it bounces off the heart if we don't do it but the moment we go before God and say you know what Lord I want to respond to what I hear and I want to do it that's when hearts Really grip it and change. I heard the gospel for years. Good year and a half, this guy was living the gospel for me, giving it out. I heard it, but it didn't grip my heart until I accepted it and lived it. Yes. That's what God wants out of our hearts. We need to understand the truth, accept the truth. Look at this proverb. Isn't this amazing? Um, wait, first we're going to quote Wayne Barber here because we got to quote him because we're using his book and, and all this. But look what he says here. The Lord longs to see prompt obedience, quick application, and a willing spirit. Let me tell you how we get around this, by the way. When God tells us to do something, we say, I'll pray about it. That's our spiritual way of saying no. God, that doesn't please God. We need prompt obedience. We need quick application. Don't get me wrong. There's times we need to pray about things. Don't take my words out. But, but, but we like to use that phrase. I'll pray about it. Prompt obedience. Quick application. 
and a willing spirit. Josiah showed all of these in his response to the word of God. Now watch this. Proverbs 16.20 says this, He who gives attention to the word will find what? Good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. So here's, here's my question. How do you respond to God's word? And he says, well, I didn't sleep. Well, praise the Lord. That doesn't mean anything. Question is, is your heart being changed? How, how do we read these and see these things and our heart not get changed? It's because something's wrong with our hearts. And so we say, God, please give me that soft heart, that tender heart, that heart that is willing to receive your word. That heart that is, that is willing to understand it and, and not only understand it, but to obey it. Let me put it this way. We need to learn the truth. We need to love the truth. We need to live the truth. And that's when God changes lives. If we're just here to learn, we've missed it. If we're just here and we say, well, I love that, we've missed it. We need to live it. Live it. And King Josiah, at the age of 16, said, I am going to live for God. And he did. And the Lord used him greatly. Is that your heart? I, I pray it is. Let's, let's bow and pray. Father, it's so easy for us to come here today to listen to your words and to let them bounce off of our hearts and for us to be the same and nothing changes. But God, I pray that right now we make that decision. Just like Josiah went before the people and said, I am standing before you making a commitment to the Lord that I will walk with him. I will hear his words and I will perform them. May that be the desire of our hearts today. That Lord, we just don't want to just have our devotions. We want to live our devotions. We don't want to just hear certain things of truths of your word. We want to live them out. And Lord, we know we can't without the help of your Holy Spirit. So we ask for help. Guide us, enable us, transform us, and help us to be people of the book, your book. Because the world is watching. And so many of us will stand and say, yeah, I believe the Bible comes from God. But then when they start asking us questions about the Bible and reasons why we're not living the Bible, we have no response. Lord, let us be people who say, yeah, I believe the Bible comes from you and by your grace and by your spirit, we live it and know it. Thank you for this wonderful example from King Josiah. And thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well.